Thank you for checking out Calvary Chapel Irmo's weekly verse-by-verse -verse teaching through the Bible. Join us now as Pastor David teaches through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1-7. through 7. We will be seeing how sexual intimacy protects a marriage. We looked at uh, sexuality and what sexuality is. And this week as we roll into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, the Apostle Paul is going to continue this teaching going from sexuality. Now he's going to start talking about marriage divorce, and singleness. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's where we'll be at this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. And if you dare, say amen. Let, let's, let's read the text first so you can see it, and then we'll talk about it, then we'll all go through and teach it. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. Now concerning the things about which you wrote... It's good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet, verse 7, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. I, excuse me, as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God. One in this manner, one in that manner. This morning, I want to start my teaching off with some statistics. Who likes statistics? Raise your hand if you like statistics. People like statistics. They like to compare, look at numbers, and look at charts, and look at graphs. So if you can keep up with me in your mind, you're welcome to try. So let's look at some statistics. In 1970, in 1970, there were 30, these are adults, 18 years and older, there were 37 million singles in the United States. In 1993, there was 72 million uh, unmarried adults. In 2015, according to the census that was taken, <clears throat> there was 109 million unmarried adults, 18 years or older, living in the United States. That's a large number. In each one of those, statistics show that, um, that I remember I read, in 1960, the average number percentage of people that got married was 90%. Well, today, uh, according to the poll taken by Pew, by Pew Research in 2015, that number has dropped to only 80%. But of all those people that got married, that went on to get married, they took one or two paths. One, they stayed single till they got married, and then they moved in together and lived life. The second group of people, the other option is they cohabitated. They cohabitated and they got married. They, they decided, you know, let's, let's live together. Let's try this thing out. Let's take a, um, let's take a test run. Let's, 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 let's do a test drive. Let's, let's test the merchandise, as people like to say. But of the people that cohabitated before they got married, now just because you waited till you got married, there, there were people in that category that divorced. But when you compare the two, the couples that cohabitated lived together before they got married, their divorce rate was 33% higher 
than those who didn't cohabitate. Okay, over the past five decades, according to Pew Research, um, I looked up this week, in the past five decades, cohabitation has increased 900% in the United States. People living together before they get married is is increased 900%. In 2012, um, according to Pew Research, there were 7.8 million couples cohabitating in the United States. That's a large number. That's a large number. So this ain't something, this ain't some elementary teaching that, that, that this is a foundational teaching that we as Christians need to have a biblical world view as we serve God, as we love God, as we live out this Christian life. We need to know what the Bible says so we can base our decisions in our life and how we raise our family and how we raise our children what to believe and what to do and what not to do, we need to make sure that we know what God's word says. First Corinthians um, uh, chapter 1 through verse 6, Paul is addressing issues that he is bringing to the table. First Corinthians chapter 7 verses 16, uh, we believe that the church at Corinth has sent Paul a letter and they asked him a bunch of questions. So Paul, some people even believe that First Corinthians chapter 7 verses 16 could be a third letter written to the Corinthians. I'm not going to go there. I'm not sure about that. But it does change. Starting with chapter 7, verse 1, Paul is going to start answering their questions. Because uh, in chapter 7, verse 1, in chapter 8, verse 1, in chapter 12, verse 1, in chapter 16, verse 1, he, 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 uh, he starts it off with, now concerning this, now concerning that. Uh, chapter 7, he says, now concerning marriage. He's going to answer their questions on marriage. In chapter 8, he's going to say, Now concerning your question on matters of conscience, here's the answer. Chapter 12, now concerning uh, your question on spiritual gifts, here's what, here's what the, the spiritual gifts are. And then chapter 16, verse 1, now concerning that financial offering for the Jews at Jerusalem, he's going to address that. So this is the Apostle Paul writing back to the church at Corinth and answering their questions that, um, that they had had for him. So you already dig into it? All right, let's do it. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this, this chapter d- deals with marriage, single life, and divorce. That's marriage, single life, and divorce. And we're going to pull some principles out of this, but Paul, the Apostle Paul is primarily dealing with the issues there at Corinth because the immorality was so prevalent. We saw um, the past couple weeks the dude's got his, his father's wife, his stepmother. We see all this immorality. But he's telling them, these are the ways, um, this is how you should live for the Lord. So let's pray, then we'll get into uh, chapter 7. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these seven verses that we're going to dive into, Lord. Um, God, I just pray, Lord, that you uh, let these words speak to hearts this morning. There may be people here this morning who, who need to hear this so they can become established. There may be people that need to be maybe reinforcement in their faith. Lord, um, I just pray that you do your work because all your word is inspired and all your word is profitable. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1, 1 Corinthians. Now concerning the things about which you wrote the letter that 
that they had sent to him asking questions. The first answer is this. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, what is he saying there when he says not to touch a woman? Not to touch a woman was a Jewish euphemism for sex outside of marriage. It's repeatedly used in the Old Testament to refer not to just touching a woman, but to having sexual relations with a woman outside of marriage. Let's look at Genesis 2.24. Genesis 2.24, foundation of marriage. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the foundation of marriage. This verse says three things about marriage. First, it says they leave, they cleave, and they become one flesh. Now, that's a process. That is a process as we get married and we grow in our relationship. And it says here, it's not good for a man to touch a woman. Why does it say that? Sexual intimacy, sex, outside, every time a person has sex, it's like this piece of tape right here being bonded to my arm. Just like that right there. That's what happens. It says they cleave. They become one. They attach is the meaning. And each time we have sexual relations outside of marriage, we bond with someone, and then we break up. And each time we do that before we get married, there goes all my arm hair. <laughs> but uh, each, time we, each time we do that, what happens? That, begot, that bond becomes weaker and weaker and weaker to eventually it won't, it won't stay. So when he says here in this text, he says, it's not good for a man to touch a woman, that leaving, that cleaving, that becoming one flesh. He's, t- he's talking about our bonding becomes difficult. It's not good to touch a woman, have sex outside of marriage. One, because it's a sin against God. Seventh commandment says you shall not commit adultery. We're, we're to abstain from sexual immorality until we get marriage. But second reason it's not good for a man to touch a woman is because God knows what is best for us. He knows what's best for us. And when we do that, that bond becomes weaker and weaker. And it becomes more and more difficult for us. For, for single people that get married, that enter into a marriage, it be, that, that bond that has to take place in their marriage that Genesis 2.24 talks about, it becomes harder and harder to accomplish. Amen? So, so it's so important. It's so important that um, we, we understand that sexual relations, sexual intimacy, sex, is for marriage. And it is... It is to be awesome and amazing and wonderful. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But it happens within a marriage. That's the way God says it is done. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. Now, again, remember what the people living at the church at Corinth, it was a culture of immorality. It was, a, it was a port town, lots of sailors, lots of ships, lots of gambling. It was a, a town full of sexual immorality. And, said, and Paul says, don't partake in the immorality, okay? Don't, because of your immoralities, he's, he's saying all those other relationships are wrong. He says in verse 2, each man 
is to have his own wife. And notice what she, it doesn't just say the man have his own wife, but look at the verse. It says, each woman is to have her own husband. You know what I love about this verse? There's not ownership of one. There's not ownership of one. The wife, she doesn't become property of the husband. The husband doesn't become property of the wife. They become a family. And in husband and wife and holy matrimony, they belong to each other. They belong to each other. I belong to Irene. Irene belongs to me. And that can be said of all of our marriages. And young people, uh, that's what marriage is meant to be. One day when you enter into holy matrimony and y'all become one, you be, you be, she becomes his, his becomes hers. That's the awesomeness of marriage. It's amazing. It's one man, one woman relationship. It's awesome, as I said. It's amazing, and it's out of this world. It is one of the greatest journeys a person can experience in this life. In this relationship between a husband and wife, um, God gives you a soulmate, a lover, and a best friend. I, I, I would, beyond a shadow of a doubt, my best friends is my, is my wife, followed by my two kids. They're the ones I'm doing life with. And that's the relationship. That's the blessings and the awesomeness of marriage is not only does God give you a lover and a spouse, but he gives you a best friend, a companion, one to do life with. That's what it's supposed to look like. Not this competition, not this fighting, not this arguing, not this uh, wrangling and disputing, but a love relationship that's grounded in love for each other doing life together. Amen? Amen. Amen. And look, it, it gets deeper here now. He, he, he's, he's, he's going deeper and deeper into this relationship that he, where he's going to start talking about um, sexual intimacy. Beautiful verses here to describe this awesome thing that God created called marriage. God created it. He's blessed us with it. It's amazing. Sometimes we take it for granted. We need to think about it. This is God's gift to us so that we can do life with someone else. Let's look at it. Verse 3. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. Now he says in this passage, this text here, it says to fulfill his duty. What's he talking about? He's talking about sexual intimacy. The passage is clearly talking about sexual intimacy. And it's the husband's job to fulfill his wife sexually and intimately. And it's the wife's job to fulfill her husband's desires sexually and intimately. It goes both ways, not one way or the other, but it goes both ways. It's called sexual intimacy. It's a beautiful thing that God created for marriage. Beautiful thing. And he, he's, he's going up to the next step to further drive home the point in verse 4. If you have any doubt, look at the direction that the, the text is going. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. 
And likewise also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. We have authority over each other's bodies. Husbands and wives, you can look at each other and say, hey babe, your body belongs to me. And she can say the same to you. Our bodies belong to each other. It's beautiful. It, it, it causes people to squirm in their seats and think and maybe get a little nervous, but it's true. Sexual intimacy is a gift from God, and it's made. It's, 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 we're, we're given authority over each other's body, and it's a beautiful thing. Why? Why are we given authority over each other's bodies? Why is this, the scripture, the word of God, put such an emphasis on sexual intimacy? It's because of this. Sexual intimacy protects our marriage. And if you're not married, one day when you do get married, sexual intimacy will protect your marriage. Now, it's not the only thing. It's not the only thing. It's only one of the protective shields. What are some other protective shields that God gives us to protect our marriage? Commitment. Honesty. Love. There's many other things that protects a strong healthy marriage. But one of them, according to our text this morning, is sexual intimacy. It protects the marriage relationship. Uh, sexual intimacy is a beautiful thing. It bonds the husband and wife together for life. It bonds us together. It, sexu- it, it, it satisfies us sexually. Some people would say that um, the sexual intimacy, or, or, or some people would say that sex is unspiritual. They would say, well, that's only for that's only for procreation. I'm sorry, friends. That thought is not in the Bible. That thought is not in the Bible. Yes, it is for procreation, but it's also meant as a fear, spiritual, physical, and mental bond that takes place between the husband and wife. Genesis chapter 2 says, He made them both male and female. And it says, that, what does it say? It says they were naked and they were not ashamed. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 says, The marriage bed is to be held in honor among all. All right, you know i got to go there. The Old Testament, talking about intimacy in the marriage and the beautifulness of it. How many of you ever read the Song of Solomon? How many of you ever read the Song of Solomon? It's Solomon's love for his bride and his bride's love for him. They love each other. Now, some people will look at the Song of Solomon, and I've heard it, t- I've heard it taught before that the Song of Solomon is an allegory, is, is, a, is an allegorical interpretation describing the relationship between uh, Jesus and his church. But I'm telling you, if you look at chapters 5 and you look at chapter 7, there's a certain parts in there you cannot say that's about the, 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 bride of Christ, the, the body of Christ and Jesus. Clearly the text, we, we, we interpret scripture literally, grammatically, just as it is written. The words mean what they mean. And that, that could be a, um, a secondary interpretation. I believe there's some, there's some imagery there and there's some pictures of the love between Christ and his bride. But primarily, it's between Solomon and, the, and, the, and his Shulamite bride. Listen to her words. Listen to her words and how she describes him. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 10 through 16. She's talking about Solomon. She says, My lover is dark and dazzling, better than 10,000 others. 
His head is finest gold. His wavy hair is like a black as, as black as a raven. His eyes sparkle like doves beside the springs of water. They are set like jewels washed in milk. His cheeks are like gardens of spices giving off fragrance. His lips are like lilies performed with mirror. His arm, arms are like rounded bars of gold set in burl. His body is like bright ivory glowing with lapis lazuli. His legs are like marble pillars set in sockets of finest gold. His posture is stately, like the noble cedars of Lebanon. His mouth, she's describing everything about her, her husband. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is desirable in every way. That's how she describes him. Now, listen to Solomon's words concerning his bride. Chapter 7. How beautiful are your sandaled feet, O queenly maiden. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a skilled craftsman. Your navel is perfectly formed like a goblet filled with mixed wine. Your belly is like a heap of wheat fenced about with lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is as beautiful as an ivory tower. Your eyes are like the sparkling pools of Heshbon. Your head is as majestic as Mount Carmel, and the sheen of your hair radiates royalty. The king is held captive by its tresses. Oh, how beautiful you are, he says. How pleasing, my love. How full of delights you are. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like grape clusters. And the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine. Young woman, yes, wine that goes down smoothly for my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I am my lover's, and he claims me as his own. Come, my love, let us go out to the fields and spend the night among the wildflowers. That, my friend, is the Bible. <laughs> that is the word of God. Husbands and wives, have we ever talked to our spouse like that? This, my friend, is nothing to be embarrassed of. I know it's a little squirmy, a little difficult to talk about. But this text is a praise of the physical love between a husband and a wife. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, that's the praise uh, of the love between a husband and wife. God created us, all human beings, with a mind and a nervous system. He created the pleasures. He created feelings. He created emotions. He gave them to us as a gift. Uh, 1995, I just got out of the Navy, came home. My cousin Janice called me up and says, David, don't you go to church with me? I said, okay. So it was probably like, it doesn't matter, it was May. It was, it was the spring of 95. I remember I uh, went into Christian Outreach Center over in West Columbia. And I walked in the door, I got there early. I saw, I saw on, the, I saw on the, little, the little mail-out thing that Sunday school starts at 9. I got there early, walked in the door, said, which way is single Sunday school? They said, oh, go down this hall, go down this hall, go in that room. So I went down this hall, went down that way, and they took me to the single Sunday school. And I remember I went in there, 
And there's only one thing I remember from that day. Because I walked in there, and I don't remember what she taught. I don't don't remember what the lesson was about. I don't remember the people that was in there. But I remember that Sunday school teacher. And after I laid eyes on that Sunday school teacher, which is that young lady right over there, my wife, I was like, I got to find her. I mean, she was just beautiful. She, She captured my heart. And I spent the next two years chasing her down. And she would bat me away and say, no, and get away. I spent the next two years chasing her down because I had these feelings and these emotions that I want to get to know her. <laughs> I want that to be my wife one day. And uh, it was set. I had those feelings, those emotions. I remember we were engaged. She took the ring off. She said, I'm sorry, this, this ain't going to work out. I said, woman, you put that ring back on your hand because we are getting married. She tried to give it back to me because I had those feelings and emotions that God gives us. That young people, he will give you one day for a future spouse to be your husband or to be your wife. Those are normal. Those are healthy. We should have them. We should have them. Uh, me and Irene call this we, we, this thing of, of, of how um, sexual intimacy protects our marriage. We like to call it our love tank. We like to call it our love tank. If you have a full love tank, all is well. If you have a, a low um, uh, love tank, things start getting out of whack. Things start getting a little squirrely. Things start misfiring and miscommunication when your love tank is low. You gotta, we got to keep our love tank full. We got to do everything possible to keep our love tank full. Amen? Within the confines of marriage. I want to give you three principles this morning if you're taking notes. Three principles, three ways that sexual intimacy protects a marriage. Three ways that sexual intimacy protects a marriage. Number one, <clears throat> keeping our love tank full and, and sexual intimacy, the way it protects a marriage is this. It protects our minds and our hearts. It protects our minds and our hearts from temptation. When, when, when we maintain a strong, healthy, uh, intimate life. It protects our minds and hearts from temptation. It protects our hearts and minds from imaginations. It protects our hearts and minds from, from lust. When our love tank is full and, and, and the sexual intimacy within the bonds of marriage is strong. That's number one, is it protects our minds and hearts from temptation, lust, and imagination. Number two, it reaffirms our spouse. It reaffirms our spouse. The husband looks at the wife and says, you are the woman. And the wife looks at the husband and says, you are the man. And there's this affirmation that takes place between a husband and wife where the husband is built up in his manhood, knowing that all is well with his wife. And the same thing takes place with the wife. As, as, a, as a husband says, you are the woman. It builds up her womanhood, and it forms into a strong bond, a strong relationship that carries us through the tough times, that keeps us from temptation, that we build our life upon, and it forms uh, 
uh, it, it forms that bond between us. So number one, uh, the number one way sexual intimacy protects a marriage is it protects our minds and hearts from temptation. Number two, it reaffirms our spouse. It builds the other one up. And number three is this, it builds companionship. It builds companionship. It makes us one. It, it forms a bond in us. You know, life, we're going to see in the text next week that singleness is a gift from God and people can be completely satisfied walking in that singleness as being a gift from God. But for those of us who don't have that gift and we have that spouse, you have a partner for life on a journey that you're doing life with till the day you die. And nothing can beat it. You know, some of the greatest advice I've gotten is not from people in church, not from people at work, but it's from my wife. Because I know she's got my back. And if you think about it, ladies, men, husbands, wives, who's got your back more than anybody? Is it not your spouse? That's the bond. That's the relationship. I know she's gonna, I know some days she's gonna praise me, and some days she's gonna step on my toes and slap me upside the back of the head and say, What were you thinking? I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my wife will speak the truth to me no matter what. I, th I think I said it, but number one was protect our hearts and minds. Number two is to reaffirm our spouse. Number the third way sexual intimacy protects a marriage is it builds our companionship. And for those of us who don't have the gift of singleness, life is not meant to be done alone. Life is not meant to be done alone. It's best done with a partner for life and our spouse and our husband or our wife. It's the best thing. Amen? Amen. Um, if your marriage is not where it's supposed to be, don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. Do whatever you got to do. Work on it. It's not easy. It's hard. It's challenging. It's not, it's not a bed of roses. Each one of us married couples could testify to how long the honeymoon lasted. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a complete change. I'll never forget. Uh, we got married. We went on our honeymoon. We came back. We lived over in Casey. And I remember that first morning, I woke up. I was like, and I rolled, I was like, huh, what are you doing here? Oh, that's right, I'm married. It's a complete change of life. But it's beautiful, it's glorious, and nothing beats it. It's awesome. What happens when we neglect sexual intimacy in a marriage? All these things suffer when we neglect our sexual intimacy in a marriage. Uh, our, our hearts and our minds aren't protected. Our spouse is not reaffirmed, and the companionship dwindles. And we know where that goes. That moves towards divorce and separation. And we know the damage and the pain that those can cause. So we have to, um, if, if we have to do whatever it takes to, to make it work, because all those will suffer if we neglect sexual intimacy. And I believe us with that thought in mind, look at the first four words of verse 5. Remember, 
uh, our chapter numbers was all added afterwards. This is one continual flowing um, uh, sentence after sentence. Look at uh, verse 5. He says, stop depriving one another. Stop depriving one another. We can't deprive each other because her body belongs to him. His body belongs to her. The two are not, in, in, in holy matrimony, in marriage, it's not two separate people. It's not him and her. It's them. They become one. And that's the way God sees marriage, and that's the way we see marriage. Brandon and Dina, yeah, it's a husband and a wife, a male and a female, but they are one. They are one. Amen? All you guys, they're married. That's the way it is. But there is a time. There is a time for us to um, say, honey, I've got some big decisions to make. I've got some things I need to pray about. And there is a time to abstain from sexual intimacy. But he gives us some clear instructions. Let's take a look at it um, in verse 5. It says, stop depriving one another. Here it is, except, here's the exception, by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. A couple things here. There is a time where we can say, honey, I really got to focus on this. I got to spend some time in prayer on this and, and I've got to abstain from our intimacy. But notice what he says, except by agreement for a time. In other words, the husband and wife need to talk about it. They need to talk about it and say, honey, you know, for the next five days, I, I really got to focus on this in prayer, and, and this will end Friday night or, or whatever, and there needs to be a time set. It can't be indefinite. There needs to be a time set, except for agreement of time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. You know, prayer is important, and we, there's times where we have such a heavy burden for a ministry, or we feel led by the Holy Spirit to pray for something so intently that we, that we, we agree with our spouse Hey, honey, I'm gonna, we're going to lay low for a little while so I can focus on this ministry, this burden I have. And, and that's totally acceptable. And it says there, and it says, devote yourself to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. We need to remember that we do need to come back together. We do need to come back together so that we're not tempted by Satan or our, our, our self-control loses its self-control. Um, things start getting squirrely and things start getting out of whack when um, husbands and wives aren't in one accord and, and together. Amen? Amen? Okay, let's, let's close this up. Um, verse 6. But, uh, but this I say by way of concession, not of command. Um, what Paul, what Apostle Paul is basically saying, when I, but I say this by way of concession, not of command. What he's saying is, because if you look at the context of the passage, he's saying, because uh, we're going to see this, this, a phrase like this throughout chapter 7. What he's saying is, um, I say this by way of concession, not of command, that he's not commanding all people to get married. Or he's not commanding all people to become single. He understands, as we're going to see in the next verse, it's a gift. Some people will take these verses like this and they'll say, oh, this isn't inspired. This isn't from God. No, it is from God. It is inspired. But what he's saying here is it's not a command to get married. For some people, they've been given the gift of singleness. They will continue as a single. Um, 
Yet, verse 7, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Verse 7, he says, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. We know what the Apostle Paul's focus was. He had one mission in life. He demonstrated it through all those missionary journeys, three missionary journeys and a trip to Rome. His focus was the gospel. His focus was on serving Jesus. He saw, and he saw him being single. It's up for debate whether he was married in the past or not. Some say he was, some say he wasn't. But that's neither here nor there. But at this point in his life, his goal is the gospel. And he saw his singleness as a single man as an advantage for sharing and taking the gospel forward. Um, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself was, being more effective in ministry. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner, another in that. Again, I believe, and I believe this, the Word of God teaches it, that um, marriage, and we're going to see this in the next couple weeks, and singleness, they are a gift. They are a gift from God. And if you think, well, maybe God has called me to, be, to, be, to live a single life. Well, if you journey into that single life and things start getting all squirrely and out of a hand in your mind and your heart, then maybe you need to examine yourself and say, well, maybe this isn't right for me. You have this strong desires for sexual intimacy. That could be a sure sign that, well, singleness is not my gift. It's not what he's given me. He wants me to be married. I've known multiple men. One of my best friends up in Virginia, Wayne Williams, God had gifted him with the gift of singleness for life. And powerful, awesome brother in Christ who, who that was his gift, and another gentleman, a friend of mine, that, that played a big impact in my life, Jim Sidebottom. These, these men were, God had given them the gift to, to being single, and there's nothing, there's nothing less. It's not singleness here and marriage here, or singleness here and marriage here. They're a gift to serve God with. Amen? They're a gift, and so, um, but he says, but I wish that all men were even as I. However, each man has his own gift. We understand it's a gift from God. One in this manner, another in that manner. What I want to do this morning is I want, I want us to, um, we're going to close service. We had prayer before. I want us to pray for our marriages. Pray for our marriages and, um, and lift them up to the Lord. The Christian marriage should have the absolute best sexual intimacy the best romance. Um, it should be filled with love. As Christians, our marriages should show to the world what marriage is supposed to look like. Amen? And it's so important in this subject, sexual intimacy, it protects our marriage along with the other um, areas of our life. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for marriage father right now i just lift up all of our married couples i lift up all the husbands and wives that are married here we have many that are out right now we lift up their marriage the ones that are on vacation and going here and going there god will you strengthen our marriages strengthen our relationship between our husbands and wives. 
Will you do that work in our hearts and minds? Give us husbands a deep, sacrificial love for our wives. Let us love her the same way you love the church. Let us lay down our pride and sacrifice our life for our wives. Give us that heart. No matter where we're at in life, no matter what age, it's a lifelong journey that continues for, throughout life. Father, I lift up our, our wives, and I pray, God, that you would just uh, do the same work in them, Lord God. Let them allow their husbands to be the leader of the home. Let them submit to their husbands. And Lord, let us shine your glory. Let us shine what a beautiful marriage is to the rest of this world. Father, for our young people and our singles, Lord, I pray that, that you would even now, by your spirit, begin to build a foundation in their hearts and in their minds of what they want their marriage to look like. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for this study in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 of marriage, of singleness, and even looking at the subject of divorce. Lord, uh, we thank you for that, Father. And we lift up our marriages to you. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen.